and I felt this very strong insight, you could call it a message, um, which was that what was perpetuating my suffering was not screwed up neurochemistry, but my beliefs. Um, and that I could, you know, the, the belief you are damaged and people will never like you, or the belief that you've got to, you must have other people's approval or you're a basket case. And I, and I, and I realized that um, I could let go of those beliefs and that there was this kind of light in me and in all of us, which, um, which is just kind of indestructible and, and wonderful. Hi, my name is Andy Ramage. Welcome to my podcast, where I attempt to share the story behind the story of thought leaders, authors, athletes, everyday heroes, and alcohol-free adventurers who have found meaning and purpose through their work, while also sharing some of their greatest wisdom. Let's do this. Every now and again, you read a book that changes your life. Jules Evans' book, Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations, did exactly that for me. I knew nothing about the great philosophers, although without knowing, their wisdom had already made a huge impact on my life. The reason I'm writing these words is that 10 years ago, I read Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins. This was the book that changed my life. And it was all down to one line in that book, which is this. It's not events that shape our lives, but our beliefs about them. Rocket fuel. When I read these words, it was like an explosion going off in my mind. For the first time in my life, I realised that I could control how I felt by changing my beliefs about the things that were happening to me. This one realisation was the catalyst that transformed my business, health and happiness. Then I read Philosophy for Life and discovered the true source of Anthony Robbins' wisdom. Over 2,000 years ago, the great Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. There it was, the wisdom, the source of all of this learning that had inspired my life for all of these years was from 2,000 years ago. Epictetus also went on to say that we only ever have control over one thing, our beliefs. Therefore, we have total control of our lives because if we can control our beliefs about the events that happen to us, we control the emotions and the actions that follow. It's genius. You will love this conversation with Jules, who has so much timely wisdom to share. During this conversation, you will discover how a freak skiing accident helped Jules heal from a life of misadventure with drugs and led him all the way back to the Stoics of ancient Greece. Jules' story is like a great adventure and there is so much more to come. So kick back and prepare to have your mind taken on a great adventure into the world of philosophy and other dangerous situations. All right, let's do this. Now, before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Yes, we have a sponsor out the traps for the podcast and not just any sponsor. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive daily nutritional drink I've ever tried. And it was really important to me 
to align with a sponsor that were aligned with my values and a product that I actually used and genuinely I've been using Athletic Greens for several years now. And I got into it when I first started to transition my diet from a very poor one to an optimal one. And it was listening to podcasts such as the Rich Roll podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast, and later Wrong and Chatterjee's podcast, who are all partners with Athletic Greens. I thought, I've got to give this stuff a try. And it has been a game changer for me. My morning routine, as many of you will know, looks like this. I walk downstairs, fill up a large glass of water, drink it, fill up half full another glass of water, pour in a scoop of Athletic Greens, fill it up to the top, drink that I'm on the bike. Now, I know I might have freaked lots of Athletic Green users out who might be like, you can't put the Athletic Green scoop in the middle. It has to go in at the start or at the end. But that's the way I like to use it. And it's like my nutritional insurance because even with an optimal diet like I have now, life gets in the way. Stresses, lack of time, travel, all of those things are there to trip us up. But I know if I've had my Athletic Greens in the morning, I'm like job done. And here's the thing, it is packed. Let me give you some of like the science and what's actually going on inside this drink. Each scoop's got around 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, multivitamins, multiminerals, probiotics, green superfood blends, and so much more. It basically fills all those nutritional gaps. That's why I use it. And this is where it gets interesting for you guys. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system, so they're offering my listeners a free, F-R-E-E, one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Basically, you'll never have to buy vitamin D again. Right, so whether you're looking for peak performance, you're trying to just level up in your life, you're trying to fill those nutritional gaps, you're an alcohol-free adventurer trying to replenish your body, right, this is the drink for you. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage, right, and join the alcohol-free adventurers, athletes, health-conscious go-getters from around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Jules, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Last time we met, there was a monkey in the room. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite in the room, but there was a, there was a, there was a, I appeared, uh, I did a, a talk for your, for your community and I was in Costa Rica then. And as I was talking, uh, uh, a kind of horde, I don't know if horde is the right word, but a group, a group of yeah. howler monkeys uh, went past my, my little house uh, and so I could turn the camera around just I don't know if you could see them but yeah there was you know they we were did. just going past so this this would happen every kind of couple of days these these monkeys would come and visit and make an absolute racket didn't you say they're the loudest monkeys or animals in the animal they kingdom? are the second loudest animal in the animal kingdom I don't know if the elephant would be the loudest um yeah so um yeah so they they, they do make a racket that is true and they That's... smell they at one time they kind of uh, they went right <laughs> right over me onto my roof, and and so I, I I can I can testify that they they're pretty stinky, pretty stinky and rather noisy. That's great to wake up to a howler monkey, but it was it was it was comical. And as I said earlier, the monkey did steal the show. As good as your talk was, I think we all fell in love with the monkey. Uh, I thought it just, yeah, it never work with animals. You know. <laughs> yeah. Ex- 
<laughs> exactly. So I thought where we'd start today is with a quote. And this quote changed my life. It was a quote from a book that I read 10 years ago by a guy called Anthony Robbins. And the quote was this. It's not events that shape our lives, but our beliefs about them. That one line in his book, Awaken the Giant Within, genuinely changed my life. It was one of those sort of quotes that just oh, gets into your bones. And it was so empowering to me to think, oh, I've got control. I've got control potentially over my beliefs about certain situations, which will influence my emotions and my actions. That was a game changer for me. And I followed that path and got really into self-development and everything started to evolve. And then I read another book, as I always do, called Bounce by a guy called Matthew Syed, um, who's also a writer for The Times, sports writer for The Times. And he recommended your book. And I thought, oh, I'll try Philosophy for Life, your original book. That changed the game completely for me. And then I discovered in your book, the wonderful Epictetus, and we can talk about whether I pronounced that name right in a second. And then I realized the origin of Anthony Robbins's quote, really, because he was re-quoting Epictetus in a different way, as he likes to do. And it was this, it was variations of men are disturbed, not by things, but by the view which they take of them. You know, and I love this sort of quote. And, I, and you just introduced me yeah. to this whole new world I did not know existed. The origins, in many ways, of self-help, of, you know, talk therapies was 2,000 years ago. The likes of these guys, Seneca and Epictetus, and just this rich, you know, place of knowledge. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And while your book, Philosophy for Life, your original book, is was a real gem for me and still is, you know, probably the book, one of the books I recommend most. So thank you. Not at all. Thank you for recommending it. I mean, and yeah, like you, um, I, I, I went through a similar thing of, of discovering the incredibly accessible and powerful wisdom of ancient Greek and Roman philosophers. Uh, and that this is stuff that anyone can understand. Yeah. And that works from day one. You know, it, it really works in people's lives. Um, and I've, I, I get, I've written about lots of stuff. Since then, I keep on learning and exploring, but um, but I also keep coming back to that uh, wisdom, like you know, every day. Um, so I'm really glad if I if if if, my, if that book helped connect you to those to those um, thinkers, because that that was the whole aim of, of, of that book. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful, and it's it's just such a nice book to share because it's so accessible. Your story within the story is really relatable and then you just open up to this world that I didn't know existed yes, tre so treasure trove isn't it? it it really is and I've spent a lot of time since then you know trawling through all of those books from you know Seneca and Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius and all these wonderful big thinkers but what I thought we'd do if it's okay with you I thought we'd just wind back a bit and maybe your build up your backstory to that moment of sort of you know, losing a bit of control, as it were. And then you have this experience around a ski accident that just has, creates this sort of ecstatic experience. I thought maybe if we could just You're giving away that. the story now. I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I'm a nightmare for a spoiler. I did a live the other day, just after <laughs> yeah. Line of Duty had finished, the day after, the Monday after Line of Duty had finished. And I yeah. did a spoiler live on air. And I just went, no. oh no, I did. And I probably, I probably had a nightmare. I had to take it off Facebook. I was like, I can't handle that. I've just like destroyed Line of Duty for too many people. Oh, so you so, gave away who who I did. H was? Yeah, like accidentally. I, I missed all that. I was out of the country, but everyone went crazy for that. 
TV oh, show. They didn't did. They? they did. So well, yeah. Okay. So as 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 you put it very well, actually, I don't really. But, uh, <laughs> well, there's this this the short version, Andy, is that um, you know, I um, when I was a teenager, um, uh, my friends and I did. Um, it was mid nineties, and so it was kind of um, acid house. Uh, yep. electronic music um and we were teenagers and we got into that and got into clubbing and clubbing to kind of you know techno music and house music and um really started um experimenting with um drugs far too young um and you know i did lsd when i was 15 for the first time i did mdma when i was 16 and by 16 17 i was going to clubs and doing you know, all kinds of drugs at the yeah. same time and really going into really altered states. Uh, then I was just too young to handle it. I mean, you know, I, of course, for a while, I kidded myself that I was, it was almost like a rite of initiation. I was very yeah. hardcore. That I was proving how tough I was and my friends and I, that we could go to these incredibly far out places and come back smiling. Um, but then, you know, sure enough, friends started to mess up and have like you know develop just emotional problems mm. from like doing too much amphetamine or having bad trips or you know this kind of thing and um and then it happened to me um so in fact you know i mean like one of my best friends had like a psychotic breakdown on on lsd wow. and, you know and got diagnosed with schizophrenia and you just don't know whether it would have happened anyway yeah anyway um I could see that my mental health was getting a bit worse as I, in, you know, in my 18, 18th year. Um, I was smoking dope every day. I could just see my mental health was getting a bit stretched. And then I had um, one LSD trip where I felt very blocked socially. I had a personality that was a real show-off personality. Mm. I loved to make people laugh. I loved to just kind of, you know, impress people. Other people's approval was very important to me. And in this LSD trip, I just felt incredibly blocked and um, couldn't really think of anything to say. I mean, it shouldn't be a big deal. But to me, that was like kind of death, you know, yeah. like to be yeah. to be socially blocked. And I felt, you know, so that that kind of hurt me, that experience, because also I didn't talk to anyone about it, didn't process it, didn't get any support for it. So it was kind of quite a blow. And then... Um, a few months later, that kind of thing happened again, but but much worse. Again right. on psychedelics, and I got very intense paranoia. I, I I was with a lot of people I didn't really know, and I just got frozen. You know, it was that kind of fear mm. response where you freeze. Yeah. And I thought everyone there is talking about me, and you know, and of course in my drugged state, this seemed incredibly important and incredibly mm. bad. That you know, the situation I, I felt completely. Uh, terrified and I remember I kind of I, I, I finally got the courage to get up and leave and I, and I went home and like lay in bed and I just had this thought going through my head you've done it now you've blown it you, you yeah. you've damaged yourself permanently and once again didn't talk to anyone about it um, didn't talk to a therapist didn't tell it didn't tell my parents about it, didn't tell anyone about it for years I honestly think there was a chance that if I talked to someone about it straight afterwards mm. That might not have been that big a deal. Yeah, I might have just processed a difficult trip, but because I didn't talk to anyone about it and just buried it, what then happened was that trauma, because I think it was mm. it was traumatizing, kind of festered and came out a few months later when I was at university, 
uh, in the form of panic attacks, which is terrifying to me. No idea what a panic attack was. Uh, mood swings, social anxiety, nightmares, dissociation and depersonalization, which is basically like you're just happily going along your business and suddenly everything seems incredibly unreal. Yeah. So basically the kind of trauma response comes back, like, you know, dissociation is a trauma response. So I would just often get dissociated. And obviously I became depressed and socially anxious because I was like, what's going on with mm. my emotions? Um, I did not know who I was from one moment to the next. I didn't recognize myself. I did not have a, a language for what was happening to me. Mm. And I had no idea about what to do about it. So the big fear was that I've done some something permanent, permanent I've, yeah. I've done permanent damage to my brain and there's nothing i can do about it and therefore i've blown my life chances aged 18 uh, you know and this was on top of a you know my background was um a lot of expectation to succeed yeah and so there was a lot of shame uh, and anger and despair at having possibly damaged my ability to succeed in life not just succeed in life just to connect to other people so because I, I had bad social anxiety, I couldn't, you know, I could no longer really connect to other people or relate to them. Right. And I had so much shame around that as well, because my identity was all built around being popular and impressing other people. Mm. So really it was, um, this lasted for about six years. And by the end, I was, I was a real mess emotionally and, you know, all that. Yeah. And you'd reach that place, I guess, like many people of sort of, misadventure in many ways or this underlying as you said sort of pressure to um prove yourself to someone and, and i guess like you said there's that fear that oh no i've done it you know typical me i've taken it one step too far i'm forever broken you know and i think that's an experience that many people have been through in different guises but what's interesting mm. i guess about your story is then how it starts to unfold and there there is this momentum towards I guess, a, a sort of a new way of thinking and, and enlightenment that leads you back to philosophy in many ways. Well, I think, yeah, the momentum was down, really. Um, like I was, I, I had dreamt about, um, I wanted to be a writer, a novelist or a poet. I'd done English literature at university, which now I just think such a strange decision, you know, yeah. a career decision, study poetry and literature. But um and then I was so messed up by the time I graduated that I, I got, I ended up in a job writing about mortgage bonds, which was like the last thing I wanted to do. So I think I was a kind of walking cautionary tale over, you know, don't don't mess around with drugs. You end up writing about mortgage bonds. It just, <laughs> it just wasn't, was, wasn't my dream. Yeah. Um, and I, I was really, I had really, you know, it's my first job. I was in this office. I had really bad social anxiety as well. So I really didn't get on with the people I worked with. I think I really annoyed them because I was so anxious. I was just giving yeah. off waves of anxiety. <laughs> um, and then, so I was really, I was really stuck. And then I just had this weird bit of luck, which I don't pretend to understand. But um, every year my family um, would go to this place in Norway. And I had an, a Norwegian ancestor who built a, uh, a hut, hutte, they call it Norwegian. Beautiful place overlooking um, a valley in, in the kind of middle of um, Norway. And on, you know, on this occasion, on the first day, I, uh, I and my cousins decided to ski down um, the kind of hardest slope on this mountain. Mm. And I, um, it was also quite bad visibility. 
and I went through a fence on the side of the, the steepest part of the mountain and flew off a cliff Wow! and um, fell, um, must have been about I know, 20, 30 feet and landed and um, broke my femur very badly and two vertebrae and banged my head. And the weird thing was um, that at the point of impact, I, I was, I was, I mean, I can, I, I'm just remembering this from like uh, 20 years later, but I was um, immersed in a white light and mm. I felt totally fine, totally like filled with love. And I felt this very strong insight, you could call it a message, um, which was that what was perpetuating my suffering was not screwed up neural chemistry, mm. but my beliefs. Um, and I could, you know, the, the belief you are damaged and people will never like you or the belief that you've got to, you must have other people's approval or you're a basket case. And I, and I, and I realized that, um, I could let go of those beliefs yeah. and that there was this kind of light in me and in all of us, which, um, which is just kind of indestructible and, and wonderful and can't be damaged. Not only can it not be damaged by accident or death, this is my, the impression I had, but it can't be added to by praise or achievements. It's just, you know, it's our, it's our kind of soul. And so there, it was this wonderful, just, you know, and, you know, and I don't, honestly don't know what that um, experience was. It lasted about a minute. Uh, and then I kind of realized, I came back and I was in my body um, and I, and I remembered where I was and I realized I'd been in an accident and yeah. I wiggled my toes because I thought, I wonder if I paralyzed myself yeah. and I could move my toes. So then I knew, okay, you've broken your leg. You haven't paralyzed yourself. You're going to be yeah. fine. And my, I remember my uncle kind of skied up and he, he saw, you know, I was a mess. I had a bone sticking out through my leg Ouch. and, and, and he said, Oh my God. And I tried to say to him, everything's great. Yeah, uh, you know, like, I just had this experience, but I, 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 I remember it came out as kind of gobbledygook. Um, you know, I think probably because I banged my head. But um, I swear that from that moment on, I just knew that something wonderful had happened yeah. to me. Um, and I was filled with like love because for, for five years or so, I've been in all this kind of cycle of self-loathing and then distrust towards others. Mm. Um, paranoia resentment and, and 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 suddenly i felt reconnected to myself and 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 able to be open and loving towards other people nothing to prove to you or to anyone else so able to just relate to other people with with openness and love wow and 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 also feeling like you know maybe th that even death is nothing to be afraid of yeah so this lasted for about um you know, a couple of months. Well, and I'm interested uh, in that, even if I jump in there, because I read uh, Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, and he talks about yeah. a similar experience that he had yeah. and lasted about a year. Same thing, yeah. same sort of realisation, not an accident in this example. But when I read that, I'm a bit like, hmm, 
I'm not sure about yeah. that. And then I hear it from someone like you that I admire and entrust yeah. and, and, and really enjoy your work. And it's really, really powerful just to let you know. And I, I'm, I'm really intrigued yeah. and interested in this. And I can't remember if it was you that even said this to me, that lots of people actually have versions of this or, you know, a spiritual experience or something they can't quite explain or it feels ecstatic in some shape or form. A high mm. percentage of people experience that, but barely anyone talks about it, which I thought yeah. was really interesting. Well, that's true. Um, lots of people have some variety of um, mystical, spiritual, ecstatic mm. experience. There can be all kinds of triggers for them from just a certain moment. In the, and they can also on a continuum of intensity. So, you know, you can just you can just feel really relaxed and at peace and at one with your environment going for a walk you might not that. classify it as a as a mystical I've, experience but then honestly you know so these things happen yeah. you know all through the day and then certain moments like you might have a very uh, where you're really in an altered state mm. or um because you just feel so i don't know connected to your environment connected to other people something like that so that might be in say childbirth or in war in these extreme situations yeah. but it might just be sometimes when people are at rock bottom yeah. so like you know the founder of alcoholics anonymous we talk about that um yeah. and then it can just it can just be for no obvious reason um but um in terms of near-death experiences um quite a few people who um, get resuscitated having died um talk about uh, report a similar kind of thing like an encounter with a white light. Yeah. So there are kind of similarities and they often come back not less afraid of death. And it, sometimes they, they feel like they have some kind of, I mean, they feel more interested in spirituality. Obviously you would, wouldn't you? Uh, wouldn't you? So um, I have to say that I don't really, I, you know, I thought about watching this documentary on, on Netflix actually just last night about near death experiences. It's funny we're talking about this. Um, and for some reason, I wasn't that interested. Just didn't feel <laughs> yeah. like it. But I mean, I mean, it is pretty bizarre and interesting. Um, and I suppose what's very interesting as well is you'd think that what, if you've fallen off a cliff and banged your head, your brain would be scrambled. And yet that moment was very clear to me and I got very useful information in mm. it. You know what I mean? You wouldn't expect yeah. that. Like, you know, when you have a fever, you don't get useful information. You no, get it's a struggle. Kind of junk, yeah, junk info. Um, so this was really high quality information, um, which subsequently proved to be useful. So anyway, I don't pretend to understand it, but I suppose here is the important point because, in some ways, how is that how is that experience helpful to other people? Right? Mm. Okay, you know, lucky me, I fell off a cliff and 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 and, and had a kind of reset. Okay, great. But but the point is that. Um, are two things right first of all is actually that that high did not last mm. and i can i you know it's not like unfortunately unlike eckhart toll you know i don't rem remember that experience intuitively i'm no yeah. not i'm no longer connected to that white light um uh, and I, I, i've always been interested about how to try and get back to it but i i haven't managed to but um what happened was that that high passed and the old habits of anxiety and depression came back. Right. So I realized that I needed a more kind of daily practice to turn that insight that I got from that epiphany into kind of daily habits. 
So the bit that that experience is really useful um, is the insight it gave me that what was causing my suffering was my beliefs. Beliefs, yeah. Um, and that I could change my beliefs. That's the bit that, you know, um, I mean, obviously it's nice to remember, you know, sometimes like, uh, do you remember that experience? Like, you know, do you remember how you felt that that, that you didn't have, you know, nothing you could do or, or achieve would actually add to your value or yeah. take away from it? And also don't be afraid of death. Like in the back of my mind, I tell myself that, but it's right in the back of my mind. Yeah, but the practical is the, the information around beliefs, which... I guess that is exactly to what this... Tony Robbins was saying. It was exactly yeah. what Epictetus said. Yeah, that is something that you can use every day and you don't have to fall off a mountain to Hopefully. actualize it. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and that I think uh, is so true. For Even for me, it, was, it wasn't a white light experience, but it was so powerful. It was the same insight, but in a book, oh, yeah. in written word. Yeah. That, like I said, I described it, it was in my bones. Again, a variation of, but that insight, I think, is so powerful and it was so beautiful how it came to you in in you know as you said in a moment when you thought your brain would be scrambled it produces mm. this like incredible insight i mean isn't that just fascinating as a standalone thing like where does that come from what is that all about and that's why it's so lovely to hear you articulate it because it's a difficult thing mm. to articulate but it's also yeah. incredibly exciting and i know even on a similar level like you said, there's many gradients to this. There's been moments in my life, definitely, when I've walked it in nature. It always happens in nature. And I turn a corner. There's a meadow. The sun's shining on my back. And you just know there's something bigger at play here. You can't put your finger on it, but there's just a sense, you know. And again, I think, like you say, that for me feels like a spiritual experience. That for me has connected me to something bigger on occasions and i think you're right i yeah. think it's nice to talk about these things and try to articulate them as best you can because i think it's really important i agree i agree i think um it can be annoying when you hear people talk about it because they can claim a kind of special knowledge yeah do you know what i mean or a special yeah. status like uh i had this experience and now i know that right, you know, yeah. jesus is lord or i know that uh, mama ayahuasca loves me uh, you know, and, and actually I'm, I now, you know, I consider myself like an agnostic, even though I believe that there's a lot more than, than what we know going on. Mm. And there are, I, I guess I do have the sense that there are powerful spiritual forces, which sometimes intervene in, in humans' lives for the good. Yeah. And I don't, and I'm, I'm not sure about for the bad, but I'm, I'm sure about for the good. But, um, but I also feel like there's a real limit to our capacity to understand that yeah. that level um and and in the meantime you know let's get on with life and trying to help each other and trying to help each other live well and i don't want my spiritual beliefs or experiences to stand in the way of me relating to someone who has different beliefs do you know what i mean yeah exactly like i i you know your your community where you help all these people you don't say um you can only you know you can only come into my community if you believe a b and c you know, exactly. if you believe in uh, a Trinitarian God or you believe in you know, the, the, the cosmic elephant or so um, that's why. Yeah, uh, that's I but, think but at the same time, you shouldn't there shouldn't be a taboo against talking about our experiences. Exactly. And I think you do it beautifully. That's what I mean. It, it makes it comfortable to talk about these things. And what I think is interesting, again, about your story is that philosophy in many ways is this practical, pragmatic, quite secular 
philosophy for life, isn't it? And it makes it really easy to talk about these things because it's like, look, this stuff is really practical. There's no stigma around it. Whereas as soon as you stray exactly into these other areas, it does get much more difficult to talk about these things and you have to really frame them carefully. Otherwise people are looking at you like, hold on, is he trying to sort of drag me into something that I don't want to be a part of? Whereas philosophy is like, this stuff's brilliant. Just go and read it. It'll change your life. And I think that's That's your early experience that led you there, wasn't it? And maybe you could even talk about your path from there to philosophy. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, sure. So I knew I, I was kind of coming down from this you know epiphany and i knew i needed a systematic daily way to create new habits um in psychology they talk about going from altered states to altered traits yeah so the altered states is like oh mountain epiphany altered traits is being a different person every you know in a steady way so a different personality traits so um and i kind of intuitively knew somehow or other that cognitive behavioral therapy would be helpful for me I knew that cognitive behavioral therapy was was based on this idea that what creates our emotions is our beliefs um, and that we can, you know, gives us techniques and practices to change yeah. our beliefs. So I, um, by that point, I guess I had, you know, um, I was, I, I think I was a member of an online social anxiety support group. And someone said, we're setting up a new CBT support group for people with social anxiety. So I went along to this support group and that we did a CBT course. That was really helpful to me in understanding my social anxiety, yeah. understanding how my anxiety was connected to my beliefs and giving me practices to change my beliefs, change my mood, change my behavior. I was, um, so I was very impressed by cognitive behavioral therapy in 2007 um, I went to interview the people who invented cognitive therapy, um, two American psychologists, Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck. Uh, I did the last ever interview with Albert Ellis before he died. I interviewed him on his on his um, in a hospital in New York and wow. got to thank him for for inventing this therapy, which helped millions of people. And um, and I asked them where did they get the idea for CBT, uh, and they both told me that working separately from each other, they both come across the Stoics, ancient Greek philosophers. I love it. Um, And um, particularly, they've both been trained in psychoanalysis, in in Freud's psychoanalysis, but they felt that it wasn't really helping their patients, even though they were seeing them sometimes every day for years. And so particularly Albert Ellis was the pioneer. He looked around for for other ways to understand the mind and, and the emotions and how to heal it. And he came across that quote by Epictetus that you you mentioned. Uh, People are disturbed not by events, but by their opinion about events. Um, And that turned a light bulb on. And he he understood instead of focusing on the subconscious and on childhood and, you know, primitive Gothic impulses like the Oedipus complex, which was kind of Freud's perspective, focus on what people are thinking here in the present moment on their beliefs, their attitudes, their interpretation of events. Sometimes those beliefs and attitudes might be somewhat unconscious. Yeah. So there is a role for the unconscious in CBT, but it's um, it's about, yeah, it's about what you're thinking now, about your habitual interpretation now. So that got me reading um, the Stoics. That got me reading Marcus Aurelius's Meditations Epictetus's discourses, Seneca's letters. And like you, 
I and, and then also reading things like actually just really got into ancient Greek culture yeah. in my 20s. I got into like Plato and Aristotle and even the playwrights like Sophocles. I got, I, I mean, I did never learn ancient Greek, but I got into the whole culture. I was like, and I was, you know, just blown away by the wisdom there. Oh, it's stunning, isn't it? And I must admit that you took me on that journey with you through Philosophy for Life, your book, but, and then yeah. I've explored it far and wide and, yeah. and fell in love with it. And there's a word, arate, I don't know if you're familiar with that word, but mm-hmm. it means to find your meaning and purpose and achieve excellence in life. Yeah. I love that word. I've sort of, I'm using yeah. that word now to drive, I think, my own life. This beautiful word I'd never heard of before from ancient Greece. Yeah. They have so yeah. much to offer. It's just and stunning. And lovely word, eudaimonia. Yeah. It's their word for flourishing, but it literally yeah. means having a good relationship with your daemon or your kind of guardian angel. Um, I love that ancient Greek culture had a relationship between the rational and the non-rational. So it was both um, the birthplace of rational liberal democracy, the birthplace of rational medicine. Hippocrates was a a kind of contemporary of Socrates. The birthplace of rational history, Thucydides, you know, all this stuff. But it also had these like ecstatic cults as well, had you know, the psychedelic cult of Eleusis. Every great philosopher was an initiate there, the kind of mystery cult of Eleusis. You had the cult of Dionysus. You had the followers of Dionysus running through the woods, the Menads. So they had this balance, you know, this integral idea of human nature, the day side and the night side. And, you know, it wasn't just rationalistic. It was about understanding human nature as a whole. And, and as a part of that wonderful thing, they had these different schools of philosophy. They had Plato in his academy, which is where we get the word academic. They had, yeah. You had his student, Aristotle, in his lyceum, which is where we get the word lycée. Yeah. Um, you had the Stoics teaching in a particular street in Athens. That's why they're called the Stoics, because it was called the Stoa Poikile, which was like the um, painted colonnade. That's what it yeah. means. So they would teach there. Epicurus living in his garden with his followers, the cynics living in a barrel. And you could go to these different schools and all of them said, we can teach you how to flourish. You know, this is this is a way of life. You could follow the Epicurean way of life or the Stoic way of life or the cynic way of life. Um, These were designed to be ways of life and to be therapies for the emotions. So Socrates said, I teach people how to take care of their souls, which is where the word psychotherapy comes from. It literally means care of the soul in Greek. And like Buddhism, they had an arsenal of practices. They didn't just say take care of the soul. They gave you methods, daily methods for how to take care of your soul. Um, like um, asking yourself questions is the most basic, the Socratic method, Mm. to bring your unexamined beliefs or assumptions to light, you might assume no one likes me. And the Socratic method would be like, is that definitely true? Mm. Is there evidence for that? Have you tested that out? Um, Is there a different way you could look at that situation? I'm a complete loser. You might very much hold that belief. Is that definitely true? Let's examine that. Let's just you know, hold that up to the lights, you know, um, it's a different way you could look at that situation. Um, you know, practices like, um, the journal they would use, like, you know, Seneca says at the end of the day, find a quiet place and write down, what have you done that day? What have you done? Well, what have you done badly? 
count the number of days on which you manage, say, not to lose your temper. Count the number of days on which you manage not to drink any beer. Right. Uh, this is a kind of basic technique yeah. for kind of changing your habitual behavior. Um, they use visualization practices like um, imagining yourself from the perspective of the universe. They would zoom out the, a cosmic perspective so that you don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Um, they would also see that, you know, see your life from the perspective of time. Think about all the people that have lived and died uh, before you as a way, again, to kind of not get too worked up about stuff. You know what I mean? To see your yeah. life from the perspective of deep time. Also, zoom in. Like, if you're really, you know, going over the past or worrying about the future, just narrow your attention. Just focus on the present moment. Seneca says, all we have is the present moment. Why bring up suffering from the past? So they were amazing. You could think of them as like film directors. Like, if your perspective affects your emotions, then you can learn Change to it. choose your perspective, yeah. you know, like a, like a really good film director. Which lens would be really helpful in this situation? Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful. And even those exercises that you just touched up upon there, they're yeah. at the roots of so much of modern day self-help and talk therapies aren't they all of those skills from visualization to understanding yeah. what's really under your control all of these things have had such an influence and really are rinsed and repeated throughout the last 2000 years in many ways and what i always found yeah. find astounding is that if you think back to seneca and epictetus is that we've evolved so much you know we've flown to the moon and back we're about yeah. to fly to mars and back so we've evolved so much materially in terms of technologically but as a human race we've gone nowhere we're struggling with the exact same things that they were struggling with yeah. 2000 years ago and i think that's what makes it so relevant isn't it? it and it's so up to date it's like you're reading something that's like this is written for me now in like the modern in fact there's an argument to say and I, i'd like your view on this i think why there's a big turn back towards stoicism right now because mm. of the uncertain times that we're living i think people are finding yeah. these philosophies incredibly powerful yeah, I agree. And, and, and it really, when I see friends and loved ones or myself um, struggling with um, you know, mental illness, it really makes me sad and angry mm. um, that um, we, we haven't got, got further, that we are still often strangers to our own minds, mm. despite, as you say, the, the, the kind of amazing technological achievements, uh, of, you know, controlling matter. Uh, controlling the external world but we are still often strangers to our own minds mm. and have still no idea how to steer them and crash around and and, and use bad means to, to to steer like use booze or opiates just to turn down the noise just to to to, to make it bearable to live in our minds and you know yeah and i i don't think we've got that much further than ancient wisdom than uh, you know, the wisdom of the Greeks like Stoicism than, uh, or Buddhism or kind of Hindu practices or Christian practices. Now, why, why the, there's this extraordinary revival of Stoicism uh, in the last 10 years, really. Mm. Uh, and um, though I, I don't consider myself a card-carrying Stoic anymore, though I did perhaps precipitously get a Stoic tattoo, uh, quite a big one on my, on my shoulder. Yeah, and, and, and I went into a tattoo parlour, it was 10, 10 years ago. 
And it was just when I was writing the first book and I thought, I'll, I'll get a tattoo. That way I have to finish it. Because yeah, you know, yeah. I'd written books before then, which I hadn't finished. And then in there, you know, the tattoo artist said, um, hey, do you want it a bit bigger? And, and I, you know, he upsold me. So I, <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, go on and make it bigger. So now I've got like, I mean, it's really pretty, pretty garish. And I'm not even a, 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 really a car carrying stoic anymore. But there you go. What does it say? Is it? Is it? It says logos. It says ah, logos. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Lovely. And it's kind of flame, but it probably looks like a you know like a garlic clove, really. Like <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. now it's aged a bit. But um, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, nonetheless, I'm proud to have played a role in this in this revival of stoicism because um, it's extraordinary, right? Yeah. I mean, if 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 this was a cryptocurrency, it would have gone up like uh, you know 100. percent Like, so I remember 10 years ago. I went to, I, I helped to organize the first gathering of Stoics um, in California. That was when I got the tattoo in, in 2010. And there was only like 10 of us then, you know, and we still managed to fall out, by the way. There was a schism in the, you know, because yeah. some, were, some were atheist Stoics and really atheist, and some were theist Stoics and really theist. But, um, um, but my friends thought it was incredibly eccentric that I was going to a gathering of Stoics. And to celebrate Marcus Aurelius's birthday, which was in right. April, it was the equivalent of saying, oh, I'm just off to hang out with some Pythagoreans at the pub, <laughs> you know, it'd be like that. But yeah. now it would not be so weird. Oh, not like, at all, yeah. Now there are like tens of thousands in stoic groups on Facebook and so on. And every month someone comes out and says, oh, I've really discovered stoicism, particularly during the pandemic. Um, there are stoic blogs. Um, podcast videos it's a stoic dating app is that really sounds like a really bad idea yeah i'm not sure about that you know one. you're like you can imagine just like uh, do you want to go out with me i mean i don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly we never get anywhere i'm not sure that one's going to take off but even you're right, right and the likes of ryan yeah. holiday i'm sure you're familiar with them and tim ferris and these yeah. the so exactly the some of these exactly I, i'm really pleased about that and of course mm. like once something takes off culturally, it mutates in all kinds of unexpected ways. And of course, there'll be some aspects of modern stoicism, which um, well, some people might find a bit of a turn off. So there's the fact that it's very popular with um, tech millionaires. Yeah. Right? And that can be a bit off putting, you know, like uh, reasons why you can't change, you know, like to accept the limit of your control. In other words, you know, don't pay taxes or whatever. Um, there's, there, you know, so sometimes people call it broicism, you know, when it's like tech bros who are like, oh, oh we're super rational. And then there's the, the, in one dark corner of the kind of stoosphere, there's an overlap with like white supremacy groups, right? right I mean, I, yeah. I was invited to talk about stoicism on a white supremacy podcast. Wow. And I was like, wait, you know, and I, I kind Hold of Googled it was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going on that. Yeah. But, um, so there's people who use stoic techniques for investing or to win at poker, mm. which is not what Marcus Aurelius had in mind. So there's, it just mutates in, in unpredictable ways. But on the whole, I'm really happy about it. And, and, and I admire the people working in that field. People like a friend of mine, Donald Robertson, who, who gives out a lot of stoic stuff for free, like online courses and so on. Yeah. So I'm um, even though I'm working on other things now, I, I'm excited to see that cultural evolution. 
Yeah, it's it's been a really beautiful thing to be a part of, and, and I was introduced to it quite early on through your through your book, and and felt like we've yeah. been sort of a bit of ahead of the curve. And then Stoicon, mm. I, I saw you speak, and mm. obviously having read around it and see that evolution, and you see it, and it now it's it feels quite mainstream, and and it's it's one of these things that's it's easier to talk about. It doesn't seem as slightly strange like you've rightly put before. But equally, Mm. then what I noticed about your story as it unfolds a little bit, because there's something Mm. missing a little bit from stoicism and practical philosophy of that nature. And it almost Mm. is this sort of slightly bigger spiritual element, I feel. It's very pragmatic. And like I said, it, it makes it very comfortable and easy to talk about. But then I sort of noticed your story start to unfold a little bit more, which leads you to, I think, was it Holidays from the South? No, that's more recent, wasn't it? I, I definitely uh, want to get to that. The Art of Losing Control. The Art of Losing Control is the second one. Yeah, I mean, so I've got great respect for uh, Stoicism as a philosophy, but the reason it wasn't enough for me, it wasn't mm. uh, sufficient, it wasn't my end point, was I find it too rationalistic. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's open to... Um, we have multiple states of consciousness yeah. and, and, and uh, you know, and they, the different states of consciousness have their use. So like dream states, trance states, ecstatic states and so on. And, uh, it, you know, sometimes they different practices and different states of mind can get to different levels of consciousness. So our rational consciousness is just the kind of the highest level. And sometimes it's possible to change and heal the self at other levels, mm. for example, through the body. Mm. Like, you know, just going for a run can be a great way to change your emotion or dancing uh, or through or through things like trance states or hypnosis mm. or through ecstatic states. So that was one reason. I also find that stoicism can be overly individualistic. Yeah, It lacks um, community. And I think it can be a bit unhealthy in its emphasis on self-reliance mm. and on independence. It is very much about a bit like kind of um, turning yourself into a, a fortress of, of reason, um, uh, you know, and, and, and not really not really being dependent on anyone else. So this is the thing you get a lot in like Epictetus and so on. Like make yourself invulnerable to fortune. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is don't depend on anyone else. And this was helpful for me as I was healing from social anxiety because yeah. I learned to like, need to just rely, be self-reliant, to not need your approval and to not fear your judgment. But after a certain point, I actually needed to learn to be able to depend on others. Mm. You know, I needed to learn interdependence, not ind- independence. I also needed to learn how to make attachments because when you've been traumatized you you basically don't really make attachments you know i i became a very self-reliant stoic that was how i got through trauma yeah but uh, but but i was lonely i wasn't able to make relationships so i i realized i needed to learn how to make attachments and part of that was learning actually not to be invulnerable but learning to be vulnerable in other words, I had to learn to take off my stoic armor and allow myself to be hurt, which, which means learning to care for other people. Do you know what I mean? The cost of love is that sometimes you're going to be hurt and you can protect yourself that from that hurt by like being totally self-reliant. But I think that's too high a price to pay. 
and I guess I learned instead of like seeing anxiety and pain and discomfort as something to be avoided and shut down as just something bad. It's like, it's the price of being human and rather, you know, learning to build up my tolerance for anxiety and suffering and pain and, and go, Oh, hello, anxiety. Um, welcome. You yeah. know, so more, I suppose in some ways I, I and I guess I, you know, I, I see Buddhism as a philosophy that has a massive similarities with Stoicism. Yeah. Sometimes when I hear Buddhist talks, I they could be talking about Stoicism, but I feel that Buddhism has, because it was a living tradition for mm. two thousand years, unlike Stoicism, that branched out into many different cultures. It is, I think, it's got a, a much richer tradition. It's got a place for um, ecstatic experiences. It has an understanding of the importance of things like, you know, love as well. And dealing with negative emotions, not as something that is just bad. Stoicism sees negative emotions as just bad, as mm. failure. Whilst in certain Buddhist traditions, negative emotions are just energies to work with. Mm. They're not bad. They're just you can learn to relate to them and, and transform them through acceptance. And that to me is is more powerful, transforming through acceptance rather than saying, you know, stop negative emotion. You are irrational. Uh, yeah, you know breaking I mean? it, uh, breaking it down. Yeah, and and I had the same experience, exactly the same experience. That's why it's been really interesting for me to see your story unfold through your yeah. thinking, really, through your books, because yeah. I was really drawn to stoicism in those early days, and I needed that as well to get me through and, you know, taking a break from alcohol and changing lots of things in my life. And it was such a valuable tool, and it always will be, and it is. But equally, there was something missing. It was that building that pure fortress of that was indestructible, mm. and you could literally, you know, yeah. it reminds me of um, uh, James Stockdale, wrote that amazing yeah. book about yeah. the philosophical yeah. fighter pilot, that sort of indestructible, who was shot down, I think, during the Vietnam conflict, prisoner of war, and used all the teachers, teachings of stoicism to survive, you know, physically and psychologically in the most horrific, you know, tortured and beaten for years and years and years. Like, in that place, it was that fortress. You cannot take my one last thing. That's my, like, beliefs, my freedom. I get it, and it's powerful for that, and I think that's why it serves such a wonderful purpose. But equally, like you say, at some point, you've got to be vulnerable and open yourself up to, to love and the world and all of those things. So then you almost can't hold those two things together. So yeah, I've had exactly. a similar I think experience. It's, it's, it's a defensive philosophy, mm. uh, and it's quite a pessimistic philosophy. Uh, it's a defensive posture and um extremely good in a crisis and that's yeah. why the book was called philosophy for life and other dangerous situations yeah. it was it was for dangerous situations but life isn't always a crisis yeah and as i changed and grew i just knew i i i just could tell that it it had served its purpose for that time um and so in my second book the art of losing control i, I, I you know the way i approached it was there's this other side to human nature like um the non-rational side yeah uh, and there are non-rational approaches to healing and so the book was really about the ecstatic um and it was a kind of a bit of a history of the ecstatic ecstasy as in moments when we stand outside ourselves our ordinary selves and feel connected to something greater than us and it asked how do people find ecstatic experiences in modern western culture 
when is when is those experiences good for us and when are they bad for us and it was a funny book to write i mean because that's a big old topic yeah and i you know and I, you know and i did my i did my best to it and and like i was also searching myself to try and find ecstatic experiences so the subtitle was a philosopher's search for ecstatic experiences and not, i was not only trying to find them because anyone can you know you can just sniff glue i mean you know but i was trying to make sense of them and i suppose i was also like looking for that to get back to that kind of white light yeah, that I exactly, talked about yeah. and make sense of that so in some ways i was i was looking for god really mm. and you know right at the start of the book i i, I kind of started my journey by looking at christianity not just any christianity but like ecstatic christianity i was dating a christian at the time i was fascinated by her faith and what was the difference between it and stoicism you know stoicism you have this idea of the logos the cosmic intelligence yeah um christianity you have this idea of you know god the father who loves you and is there for you and you know um and then jesus and the holy spirit and miracles and all of that so that that's very different and then you've also got the the community of church mm. is very different from you know a, a stoic facebook yeah you go there and pray with each other and sing together weep together heal each other and I, you know i was i was fascinated by that and i was attracted to that because yeah. you know i'm a i'm a chronic individualist so i'm a, i'm a kind of lonely seeker so i was like oh you know community yeah, this is something how yeah. enticing and so i you know i got into that and i i ended up having like ecstatic experiences you know one in particular in a, in a weird little church in wales surrounded by like ecstatic grannies passing out and uh and i converted to christianity that that you know that night did you and announced it to the in, in that. So to was the that one of those you know I, i've sort of seen it you know i guess on the the screen where you sort of walk out front and yeah no, I didn't walk up front. I, I was far too English to do that. I was, I was right at the back of the church, but it, you know, it kind of got, kind of felt yeah. like you got zapped. You know, right. like, it was like wow. that. It was a bit like, like John Belushi in uh, Blues Brothers. If you ever seen yeah. that, yeah, it was like that without the backflips. But it was, it was literally quite similar to that. I mean, it wasn't wow. a ray of light, but it was like kind of, you know, and it was very somatic, and it kind of took my breath away. It was like being kind of, you know, pierced. You know, and it was kind of joyful. I remember I looked at, um, I went to the loo, you know, and, and my eyes were like I was on ecstasy. Mm. <laughs> my pupils had dilated. And, um, you know, it was like that. And and really, I would now, I, you know, and so I, I converted and I announced it to the world. And, you know, half my sub subscribers to my newsletter kind of unsubscribed. So they were disappeared, yeah. They were stoics, yeah. You yeah. Know, um, and um and and you know it was really difficult the next mm. year was really hard because again what happens the the high runs runs out yeah um the epiphany passes and in this case it no longer made rational sense to me right when i when the high had passed yeah i just couldn't personally i couldn't i couldn't um make couldn't accept the theology that i was being presented right okay um and so you know my faith wore away it, it was like a vegas wedding i'm i'm sorry to say that you know because it's very disorientating 
Yeah. Because this was in the middle of writing that book. And then, you know, so I came, I ended up in a kind of agnostic pluralism, like saying, oh, I'm not sure what that white light experience was. And I'm not sure if it'll ever happen again. It was quite a sad book in a way. Um, uh, but, you know, at the very least, I kind of ended up in this position. Well, look, people have these experiences and sometimes they're they're good for you. So we shouldn't be so afraid of them. And I suppose where it ended the book is saying, don't be afraid of these experiences. They are natural. They happen mm -hmm. on the whole. They're good for you. On the other hand, don't get attached to these experiences, which is what happens in ecstatic Christianity and what happens in, in new age spirituality is people get very attached yeah. to ecstasy and hung up on it and, and they start to chase it as I suppose I was. And like, you know, oh, where can I get that experience again? Uh, you know, or maybe I'll go to this Tony Robbins seminar or then maybe I'll go and, you know, um, go to this breathwork thing or whatever, you know, like, um, and, and that's unhealthy too, because now I'm like, I, I mean, particularly after this ayahuasca retreat, which I guess we can talk about, I, I'm, I'm, I no longer chase ecstasy. I no longer chase the ecstatic, like, and I, and I realized it was a bit immature of me to do that. And that like, it's not about big experiences like, um, you know, life is about, I don't know, it's big and, and little experiences and the everyday as well. And like those kind of experiences come along sometimes. And, and, but, but, you know, you shouldn't really target them. I feel like. Um, yeah. Deliberately yeah. go after them and just, coming back to that because it's really mm. nice to hear your sort of concluding wisdom around mm. that in the, the ayahuasca and what for yeah. me is interesting about that for you going out of mm. your way to actually go back into that environment is that mm. your personal history with mm. psychedelics and drugs and mind-altering states clearly kick-started this whole you know um thought in your mind that maybe you've broken and all of that and you've worked incredibly hard and all these wonderful years to get into this place and then you were willing to sort of potentially step back into that lion's den as it were and, and go through the right. ayahuasca ceremony so i i went to an ayahuasca retreat ayahuasca is a um a psychedelic potion that tribes in the amazon jungle have been drinking probably for hundreds of years um, it's made out of two plants and they worked out that when you mix these plants together in a potion, one of the plants contains a psychedelic called DMT, which is a very powerful psychedelic. The other plant um, contains a, a chemical harmony, which extends the experience of DMT for four hours. So clever indigenous tribes, they worked out, oh, if we mix these two Pick plants, out, yeah. we can take a, 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 a 10 minute DMT trip and make it last four hours. So uh, over the last 20 years or so, Westerners have, have been discovering ayahuasca and going to the Amazon and drinking it. I, for the art of losing control, one of the chapters was on psychedelics. Psychedelics are the most reliable way to get mm -hmm. an ecstatic experience. You take LSD or MDMA or ayahuasca, you, you know that you're pretty much reliably going to get Something's gonna some happen. kind of ecstatic experience. Something's going to happen, yeah. Uh, and for that chapter, I wrote a lot about the new research that has been coming out in the last mm. 20 years about psychedelic therapy. Yeah. A lot of research now uh, into that and into how psychedelics under careful um, guided conditions 
can be very healing for people. In other words, very different to the kind of experiences with, when I did psychedelics, you know, without any kind of uh, mature intention or without guides. So that really, um, you know, got me interested in psychedelics again and interested in, in, in the potential of psychedelic therapy to help me and heal me. Because I guess I was still, I was trying to improve my capacity to love, mm. really. Stoicism had helped me and made me self-reliant and healed me a lot of my social anxiety. But I was trying to open up and improve my capacity for like intimacy and, and, a, and a relationship. You know, I was I was like 39 and really had barely had a relationship. So that was that was the motive. I thought the psychedelic therapy yeah. might help me at that deeper level. And I very carefully picked the place to do it. I picked this retreat center where you would have both indigenous shaman and Western therapy um, facilitators. Okay, because I expected it, it might be a bumpy ride for me. Yeah. I thought some trauma might come up. And so I, I knew that I wanted therapists there who could help me with that. I did it after the book had come out because I thought there was a chance I would go crazy. Uh, and I didn't want to have to do a book tour if I was psychotic. Right, okay. well, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's never a good thing doing a, a book tour. Yeah. So, so, um, so I, so after the book had come out, it was after my 40th birthday, I went to Peru and I did a 10 day retreat at this place called the temple of the way of light. And it was absolutely extraordinary. I wrote about it in this little book, Holiday from the Self. Just extraordinary. Um, you're kind of, you're, you're drinking this potion in this kind of large wooden hut in the jungle with like 20 other people. I hadn't thought about the group aspect of it. Yeah. You know, that's extraordinary. And we kind of would appear in each other's visions. Really? Oh, my Lord. I and mean, just not, and speaking so to that. We very you... connected. Yeah. It, and just because uh, a friend of mine, before you get into it, a guy called Ollie Ollerton, he's SAS or SBS guy, star of SAS, Who Dares Wins. Anyway, he had this um, unbelievable trauma when he was a child. He was attacked by a chimpanzee at a fair his mum and dad had taken him to, and they just sort of took their eye off him for a second. He'd strayed towards this chimpanzee who was chained up but grabbed him and started attacking him, was beating him to death effectively. He, he fought off this chimpanzee. But you can imagine, you know, you're eight years old, that what a traumatic experience that is that stayed with him forever. And he went yeah. just recently and he literally talks about this experience and it's, it is mind blowing. You know, when he, you know, someone that, you know, and trusts like that. And basically what happened for him, not only was he seeing other people that were in the group in his vision, but he ended up seeing through the eyes of the chimpanzee. And he knew then yeah. it was really, really powerful for him. He knew that that chimpanzee was just acting out of love because he had a little baby yeah. he had a baby and it was terrifying yeah, and it yeah. wasn't him that he was attacking it was just protecting i'm getting goosebumps oh, even thinking God. about it it was like whoa when you hear someone it was just it's rocket fuel i interviewed someone in the art of losing control and she said ayahuasca is like a laser guided scud missile that goes right to the source of your problems and anxieties mm. and traumas and it is like that and i i described it i think in the holiday for myself as Imagine a kind of virtual reality machine that you plug into that that summons up um, your you know worst fears and then you know reacts to your emotions and to your mental state in real time so that you can confront it and transform it, you know, and, and integrate yeah. it. And then imagine that you're also plugged into the machine with all the people around you as well. So there's that kind of strange thing going on yeah. where you're like 
I mean, the group mind aspect of it is mind blowing because yeah. that's so strange. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and then, you know, then there's the musical aspect to it too, because then there are these shamans that come around and, and sing songs in front of you. And the songs are their medicine, whereby they call in different spirits of plants right. to heal you. And, and these songs are, are eerily beautiful. And of course, the moments when they, they sit in front of you are the moments of most powerful intensity. Yeah. Another weird thing is, is, is it's like a purgative. So you know the word catharsis, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the kind of purging. So you will have these, you bring up stuff from your subconscious, from your past, and then you purge it, you know, either through being sick, for example, or, 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 or needing to go to the loo or, or like, and it's, so it's, it's very somatic as well. Yeah. Or like, an, I remember like you're sweating and sweating it out as well. So all of that's going on. And then this is something that grows just wild. This is not like a computer. This is a plant. This is an incredibly intelligent plant. So that really, you know, the two things that really blew my mind were, first of all, the experiences of group mind I had. I've, you know, that really is yeah. um, undermines your sense of a separate self. You know, I was getting telepathic and, you know, knowing what was going to happen even. So that's unnerving, to be yeah. honest. And then the other thing that blew my mind was the idea of plants being intelligent, <laughs> you know. And sort I mean, of knowing just, where to go, yeah. I mean, that's just fundamentally different to my model of reality. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I found that experience good but it was also there was there was one you know we tripped five times one time um i drank this stuff and and i just immediately went out of my body and i couldn't remember um where i was who i was that i was a human being what my name was and for about five minutes i was like somewhere else but not in any kind of pleasant way and i was like oh god i've really done it uh, you know yeah, how do here I, we go how do i how do I get back from here? Where am I? And then, you know, and then I was like, oh, I'm a human. Oh, I have a body. Oh, I've done ayahuasca. But that was unnerving, you know. Um, but anyway, on the whole, I feel that that experience was very healing for me. Um, but here's the interesting thing that happened. Um, I expected my difficulties to come up during the retreat. Yeah. And they did. And I, and I processed them and I confronted them and all of that with all my, with my training and so on. And with stoicism actually was properly helpful to me and Buddhism was properly helpful to me. Things like maxims, things like reminding myself this yeah. will pass, the breath, all of those were super helpful to me. Um, then what happened was um, we came back to uh, the town of Iquitos, the nearby town after the retreat. And when I was there, that was when the old trauma really came back. Wow. Right. It came back after the retreat. Um, like my heart, which had been incredibly open, incredibly connected to the other people there, kind of froze shut exactly like it happened to me on my bad trip when I was 18. Right. And everything felt very unreal. Time felt very unreal. I felt nauseous very cut off from other people didn't couldn't think what to say came you know and, and i thought oh, can i remember uh, googling like you know integration ayahuasca integration and like 
how, how long can this last? And 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 this the, the website of this of this place, the Temple of the Way of Light, said um, integration can be a difficult process and can last for days, weeks, or even years. And I was like, oh no, years. Like, <laughs> oh my, you know. And, and I, I went off like um, I went off. It was my plan to for, to stay for a week in the Galapagos Islands and to do my integration there. So I thought, how you know, to be surrounded by nature. And on that journey, and by the time you know, I I was so dissociated, and that trauma had come back so strongly that I thought, um, I'm I'm not in normal reality. I mean, yeah. I decided I was either in a dream or in in some kind of afterlife because I was so dissociated. I thought this isn't normal reality. Um, you know, and you can imagine, I got, I got to the Galapagos and I, I thought, how do I wake up? How yeah. do I get out of this? Because this, this lasted three days. Wow. Like I'd go to sleep, wake up and still think I'm still in this dream. Still, still dreaming, yeah. Yeah. And every time I get a text from like loved ones, I'd be like, oh, that's just my subconscious creating that. Ooh. And how do you get out of that situation yeah. when you're in it, you know? And so um, a friend of mine said, look, you don't sound well. I think you should come back. And I thought maybe if I go back to England in my dream, I'll I'll, I'll wake I'll up. Wake you know? up. Yeah, because I I thought I was maybe in like a coma or something like that. So I took a journey, you know, to three planes all the way back to England. All the time thinking this is my dream. This is still a dream, yeah. Like this this estuary, you know. So I upgraded to first class on the plane because I thought Might as well. It's, it's a dream. It's not because we think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> so I go. So I get. You know, I said, "Here, take my credit card. No problem." You know. But yeah um yeah 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 take the take the dream money and then landed but and it, you know it was a long strange journey all kinds of strange stuff happened to me on the way by the way i don't i won't go into it but finally got back to london and there my my friend was waiting for me it was like the last scene in inception yeah do you ever seen that film Andy? yeah um so you know like leonardo DiCaprio comes out to the airport and he sees his kids and he doesn't he's not quite sure if it's a dream has he woken up and he decides to just to go with it, to go with whether it's a dream or not. And it was like that. I saw my friend and I hugged her. And as soon as I hugged her, I realized, I knew I was back in reality. Yeah. Just the smell of her hair, her yeah. face, the smile. So in other words, love is what kind of connects us. When Brought we're back, yeah. Yeah. But you can imagine that was a pretty strange experience. And so I, um, I was none the worse for it. And in fact, in the next kind of few days, it was a funny kind of replay of my bad trip when I was 18 because I was still incredibly dissociated and out there for about for about a week afterwards. Couldn't really understand books, couldn't understand films. I mean, I was quite cognitively disabled, probably freaking wow. out your listeners here. Yeah, I'm but, just um, thinking, but yeah, it's important yeah. that we see both sides of because it, well, it starts with well, this really powerful experience. Yeah, so, um, and I, I had to depend on my friends mm. to to look after me. And they they were, did an incredible job at taking care of me and looking after me. And um, and after a week, then I was completely back on earth, as it were. And so in a way, it enabled me to process the bad trip of when I was yeah. 18, where I had not talked to anyone about it, where I'd refused any help. And this was like a replay of that, but in a very different way where I had to depend on others. I had to be open. I had to rely on other people. Do you remember I talked about learning to be dependent, uh, yeah. learning to be vulnerable? 
so it was that experience it's sort of that full me, arc almost of coming back yeah to that. It forced me to be dependent on others and to, and to be vulnerable um but it also i mean just to kind of end the story really like um it got me interested in this thing called spiritual emergencies which are basically spiritual experiences which are messy we can think of spiritual experiences as always like happy la 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 yeah fairy lights you know wonderful but spiritual experiences can be frightening and disorientating this is true of psychedelics this is true even of yoga and meditation mm. um people can have experiences through yoga or meditation which are very powerful but disorientating mm. because they go beyond their ordinary self their ordinary reality and it's it's a bit difficult to go back to their ordinary self um so th this this kind that kind of experience has been called spiritual emergency it can feel like psychosis but it isn't exactly because it's a temporary experience which can be managed and navigated so um i and a, and a, and a, and a friend of mine we put together a book called breaking open, breaking open yeah. which is which is basically 14 people's stories of their spiritual emergencies and what helped them through them so through what helped them through these messy spiritual experiences to integrate them uh and to kind of uh go on with and have flourishing lives basically but no it's it's yeah. wonderful to hear these stories from you i think it's really important i think people be fascinated and interesting about all of this and like you say yeah. leading to that that the, the, the latest book which was breaking open and spiritual yeah. emergencies which is another great read just while we're on the subject of books a couple of questions i'm conscious of your time yeah. um yeah. the book that you're working on right now i'm really mm. interested about that about aldous huxley would you just give us a quick yeah snippet of what that's all about yeah sure so um it's projectively titled um well maybe i shouldn't say this title i might jinx it but uh, yeah don't, <laughs> it's yes. about the huxley family aldous huxley his brother julian huxley their grandfather uh, thomas huxley um uh, they were an extraordinary family and it's about how they reimagined religion after darwin and helped to create a kind of post-darwinian future uh, religion or um uh aldous huxley called it like the human potential movement yeah his brother julian huxley called it transhumanism but it's about how they kind of were religious prophets for the 20th and 21st century and imagined the future of of religion or spirituality uh in this kind of synthesis of science and spirituality um imagining the evolution of human potential from humans into kind of almost like superhumans and so it's telling that story through the huxleys and their friends they were friends with everyone from like hg wells to dh lawrence to krishnamurti to um timothy leary wow um telling that story from the 1850s like thomas huxley was like charles darwin's right hand man probably the most famous scientist of the victorian era so the man who did most to thomas huxley to introduce the theory of evolution into western culture all the way to the present day into kind of silicon valley and californian people and you know the the, the dreams of transhumanism that you yeah. have today of, in silicon valley and it's telling us so it also looks at the kind of the dark side of it as well which is the idea that humans are evolving into superhumans or rather some people are like a kind of avant-garde and elite yeah. are becoming superhumans 
whilst other people are like lesser humans. So it's warning about this tendency to elitism uh, and, 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 and also sometimes eugenics, you know, like kind of classifying humans into like superhuman and, and subhuman. So, so really it's saying, this is kind of like, you know, I, I, I guess I love the Huxleys, particularly Aldous Huxley, and that kind of spirituality is my spirituality. Mm. But it's saying, look, it does have this dark side as well, which we need to watch out for, this tendency to elitism um, and, and spiritual inflation. You know, I'm a super being and, and, and you're not. <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's, it's, it's saying watch out for that. Yeah, and I think uh, it's just someone that I'm really starting to to get more and more interested in is Aldous Huxley. I first heard about him actually in a book, um, The Structure of Magic, which actually is about the origins of NLP. And they actually quote Aldous Huxley a lot in that book. And that was a name that kept coming back. And I loved the quotes. And then I heard you talking about it. So I've actually, yeah, purchased a couple of... I didn't know that. I knew that uh, Aldous was a friend of Bandler's. Yeah, that, that's and, that, probably right. and he learned hypnosis from him and would try it out on his friends. So he was he, he, he was a pretty good hypnotist. He had a friend, the Igor Stravinsky, the composer, yeah. who had insomnia and all this cured him with, with, with hypnotism, with his insomnia. Really? Yeah. I mean, so he knew his family knew everyone. I mean, like it's, it's like a who's who. So you can it's a kind of group biography. It's just, you know, I mean. It's just fascinating the people they knew and influenced. Like you know, Esselin. Uh, maybe you heard of Esselin. It's no. kind of oh well, it's a it's a it was a big place in the '60s up to the present day, and it's it's in Big Sur in California, and it was like the birthplace of the human potential movement. So right, you okay. can still go there, and they would do courses on everything. Like um, you could do a course on shamanism. You could do you know then a weekend thing on ecstatic dance, which that came from Esselin. Uh, gestalt therapy encounter groups meditation psychedelic therapy a lot of these things came from Esalen and Esalen was inspired by Aldous Huxley as well I mean and it was um, you know the two guys who founded it were basically inspired by Huxley so he also co-coined the word psychedelic Uh, that was that was him and and his friend Humphrey Osmond they they came up with that word together right Um, you know I mean look I could talk that's another podcast. That is another podcast. It really is because yeah. I'd say I'm just, and to note that he was friends with Bandler, so he must have been really influential on their thinking behind NLP. That's why he's quoted in all those original books from 1975, those books are. No know, I, hadn't, I hadn't read that. I knew that they were friends. I knew they'd written a paper together, but that, that's inspired me to go and, and read that because I didn't know that. Yeah, it, 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 I think it's the first quote in the first book. And, and this is the quote. I'll just read the, the quote if that's okay. Um, to yeah. make biological survival possible, mind at large has to be funneled through the reducing valve of the brain and nervous system. What comes out the other end is a measly treacle of the kind of consciousness which will help us stay alive on this planet. The doors of perception. Aldous Huxley, love that. And that's when they're talking exactly. about basically how we filter information for our brain and what we're actually dealing with is this tiny slither of, of actual reality. So I think he had a huge influence over the NLP movement as that's well. That's so interesting because that explains, you know, someone like Tony Robbins and that kind of yeah. 80s end of the human potential movement exactly. and how it's connected to Aldous in the 50s, that there is that kind of, line of connection through nlp so that's very 
that's very interesting for me thank you yeah oh good you can put that in the book yeah Slip it in there in the before book. it goes to publish <laughs> yeah. um so yeah. apart from the new book which we don't know the title yet and we'll definitely do another a podcast around that if, if you yeah, would because i think um i've absolutely uh, loved this whole episode so far what can we do to find out more about you like right now as it were oh great yeah so i've got this uh, website philosophyforlife.org yeah um, on there you can sign up for a newsletter i've got a free weekly newsletter that's the easiest way to kind of keep in touch with me i'm on twitter jules evans 11 instagram jules the philosopher uh, facebook youtube um yeah i mean i've got something called the london philosophy club which i run which you can join that, that we do events on there um then I've got, uh, yeah, I've got four, four books out. So Philosophy for Life, Art of Losing Control, uh, Holiday from the Self, which is a quote by Aldous Huxley. He says about, we, we all is need right? holidays from the self. Yeah. So he talks about ecstatic experiences as holidays from the self. And then, um, and then finally, um, Breaking Open. Breaking Open. Yeah. Oh, um, so, yeah. Fab. And, and again, just to thank you for inspiring me and, and opening me up to so many new and wonderful ideas and just being brilliant today i've absolutely loved every second of it thank you and we will do this again very soon thank you andy thank you for your really positive energy and all your work i, I was thinking i've got this uh, podcast with andy now and i knew that you you just got such great energy that that, that would be my like afternoon cup of tea yeah. just talking to you would be it would be fun so yeah. great to see you yeah and you my man all right we'll wrap it up there and we'll see you again soon brilliant see you If you enjoyed this episode please check out the shorter episodes which are clips from my daily live show the fun side of the island with andy ramage that you can join every day at 7 15 a.m bst by following at andy ramage official on facebook instagram and on youtube search for andy ramage also for the first time ever i'm now training double accredited coaches in my unique coaching blueprint go to andyramage.com and check out courses for more information and if you'd like to train with me on my latest online live course, The Arate Way, also head to andyramage.com courses. I'll make no secret of it. I would love to train with you. So let's make it happen. And I thank you for listening. It's deeply appreciated. The best thing you can do to show some love to the podcast is to click subscribe or follow. And don't forget the sponsors, Athletic Greens, who are giving our listeners a free year supply. Yes, free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today when you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and sign up. And I love it most of all when you share the episode you enjoy on social media. You can just take a screenshot as you listen and then put it out and tag me in at Andy Ramage official on Facebook and Insta. You're amazing. Finally, you can sign up to my free newsletter where I share exclusive posts along with things I'm enjoying such as podcasts, books, quotes, TED Talks and much more. And many of you message to say this is your favourite thing that I produce. So please check it out by going to andyramage.com and there is an option to sign up at the footer of every page. As always, a massive thank you to Matt McCormick for producing the podcast and thank you to Austin Sweetman for your digital promotions. You can find me on team at andyramage.com, at andyramageofficial on Insta and Facebook, and Andy Ramage on YouTube. See you back here soon 
for another episode. Let's do this.